This wasn't what we expected. We were supposed to be at work. We were supposed to be with friends and family. A birthday postponed, graduation delayed, a celebration canceled, recitals and concerts alone. Times have changed. And today we remember that God is still on the throne. He is still in command of the universe. God is the one in control. And we remember the scripture that says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Hello church, thanks for joining us for MRCC Church Online today. Let's worship our amazing God together. He's walking with us during this time. So Lord, we offer our hearts to you. Today let's sing of who he is, our great God together. Lord, we praise you. Yes, he's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Let's lift it up, church. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. That's right. Our God is With the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before him. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So open up the gates. Make way before the King of Kings. We make way, Lord, for your presence. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Hey! Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting. Oh, yeah. 
presence is. Yes, Father, we worship you. Here and now, you're so worthy, God. Let us remember, church, that he's overcome. Our Savior, we worship. We declare these things in Jesus' name. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. Yes, our creation awaits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God. Can we declare, church? We will not be. Chapter 16, verse 33, it says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. At a time like this, we know that a lot of comforts have been stripped away from us. The world is changing dramatically on a daily basis. Church, what are we placing our hope in? What are we placing our trust in right now? Is it media? Is it the internet? Is it the opinions and the things of this world? In his word, it says the things of this world will fade. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Placing our hope in the things of this world is shaky ground. And the fact is, there is one who is the way. There is one who is the truth. 
and the life, and it's Jesus. He is our living hope. He has overcome the world, and to this Savior, we sing hallelujah. So church, can we come before him now, in his presence, and worship him for who he is? We place our trust in you, Lord.
you hold it all together. You see the end of this thing. Father, we place our trust in you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whom shall we fear? So God, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you are. And as your sons and daughters, we praise you because you're worthy. And in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. So great to worship our amazing God together. Hey, church, thanks so much for joining us today, and thanks for worshiping with us. We love to be able to worship. I hope you are just receiving this time of worship, and it's been a a growing time for you. Uh, We just want to tell you, if you are new also to MRCC Church Online, we'd like to connect with you in any way that we can. So if you get your cell phone out, text to 94000. If you would text the word MRCC, we'll just try and uh, connect with you and give you an opportunity to be a part of what goes on here at MRCC. And today, after our third service online, meet us down at the Enumclaw Buckley Trail. We're keeping this walk after church tradition going during this quarantine time. We will be respecting each other with social distancing, but we just want to wave, say hi to our church family, and interact together. Yep, we really enjoyed the walk last week, Mother's Day. Thanks for joining us for those that did. Um, And and we also want to thank you so much for your generous giving during this time. I'll tell you, we, because of your generous giving, have been able to send $5,000 in food and supplies to Uganda. Our um, missions team, uh, through Mercy Reigns, was able to gift them. And what a beautiful gift that is that we could send that. Amazing. Well, hey, we know that this is a weird time for a lot of us, and we especially know that as, as your leaders. You know, we're, we're here filming this in an empty room in an empty building, and, you know, sometimes we aren't that good at doing this. And, you know, we actually, Tyler surprised us, and he has a few clips of some of our bloopers, and we thought it'd be great to share that with you now and just have a laugh. I'm sorry in advance. Hey, MRCC family. Really? No. Darn it! <laughs> Come here, babe. It's okay. Ma. 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 Oh, I touched you. Hey, church. Pastor Greg here. Great. No, so we'll start over again. Um, (laughs) I gotta gotta not try so hard here. I'm so glad there's no one here right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gosh, I was so close. And five, <clears throat> hey, good morning, kids. I'm glad you're up. Uh, JK, not morning. Whatever time of day it happens to be. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Put that on there. Oh, good morning, church. It's great to be with you again. Those were cute, weren't they? You know, the reality is that uh, this whole experience that we're in, this unwelcome time, is just as weird for us as it is for you. And, uh, you know, if I could kind of pan around the sanctuary right here in this moment, it's just a lot of empty chairs. Uh, the reality is that we are connected in spirit in this morning, but it, it just feels so different and so weird. Maybe one of the best things we can do is laugh about it sometimes. Uh, And on that note, uh, more than a few of you, I want to thank you for letting me know your weekly reactions to my hair. It is obvious that you are enjoying yourselves. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, One person shared with me how when the video came on and they saw me, they gave an audible gasp and their whole family busted up laughing. Somebody else talked about how they spent the whole time wishing they could just reach out and fix my hair. So, hey, if there's any reason to pray for us to get to the end of this, uh, let that be your motivation. Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well myself. But uh, it's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be gathered in spirit that is more real even than being gathered in the flesh. And we rejoice that Jesus has made that real. 
And let's take a little time this morning to uh, open God's Word together. Grab your Bible, if you would, and open it to Romans chapter 14. Last week, we said that we want to start looking beyond this moment, and we're going to continue to do that in our journey in Hebrews. But I felt as I prayed this week that the Holy Spirit would have us address another issue related to this time. And we're going to do that this morning in, uh, in Romans chapter 14. If you turn their Bible there uh, uh, and follow along with us, um, the truth of the matter is this, that, that uh, I have done some really dumb things as a husband. Uh, maybe you can relate to that as a husband or a wife, uh, but I've, I've done some really dumb things as a husband. Husbands can be dumb sometimes. You heard about the husband and wife who went to the zoo for their anniversary, and she went into a cafe to get some coffee, and uh, when she came back out, she saw her husband standing next to the elephant cage, and he was throwing $10 bills into the elephant's cage. The elephant was grabbing him and eating him. She said, honey, what are you doing? He said, I'm feeding the elephants. She said, well, there's a sign right there that says, don't feed the elephants. He said, no, it says, don't feed the elephants, $10 fine. <laughs> yeah, I have no shame. Husbands do dumb things sometimes. Can I tell you about a couple of mine? When, when Isaiah was a baby, our son, when he was newborn, there was more than one occasion in which I told Rhonda that she needed to get up in the middle of the night to take care of him because I had to lead church the next morning. I confess that to my shame. I look back on that and think, how dumb are you, Greg? But that wasn't even the worst one, probably the worst one, probably the one I, I carry the most disbelief over my own behavior was that on our fifth anniversary, I was in college at the time, we were preparing for the ministry and I played on the soccer team, we had an out of state game, we had to drive from Seattle down to Oregon and uh, on our fifth anniversary, <laughs> We had to drive to this away game, and I told Rhonda that she would need to drive alone because it was my responsibility to be with the team on the drive. Can you imagine? If you're wondering what was going through my head, I I'm wondering the same thing. I have done some dumb things as a husband. I mean, how foolish is that? Now, you know, at the time I was thinking about, you know, being part of the team and affirming one another and all that kind of stuff, but I had completely lost touch with what was much more important, which shows that you can be right about something and still wrong at the same time. And that's important to understand, so important that God takes significant time in His Word to teach us that being right about something doesn't please him as much as being willing to accept each other when we're wrong. That's a big deal. We live in a time when there are a lot of disagreements about what's happening in our country and in our world. But let us learn that God isn't pleased in this time by the people who are most right, but the ones who are least foolish. God is going to address that very directly this morning. He does so both in Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He takes significant time in his word to do that because he realizes how important this issue is in our lives. So let's, let's listen to him this morning as he teaches us how to be both right on the outside and right on the inside when we disagree. Here's what Romans chapter 14 says to us, beginning with verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Now, 
let's pause for just a moment and let me help you grasp the background to, to this moment in God's word. You see, in those days when you bought meat for your dinner, your lunch, your family meal, you bought it in a marketplace uh, in the center part of the city and the meat that was sold there had been ceremonially sacrificed to different gods in the different temples around the city. Because of that, because that was the habit, the practice, there was debate among believers over whether they should eat meat that had been sacrificed in those various temples. You see, when, when a temple sacrifice was made, a small portion of it was, was burnt on the altar, portion of it was given to the priest, the rest was sold in the marketplace. And it's easy to understand against that backdrop how believers could disagree over how to handle that. Some said, hey, if that meat's been sacrificed to another God, I'm never going to eat it. I'm not going to touch it. Others said, you know what? All those religions aren't real anyway. They're false, and it doesn't matter. And God would have us aim for a, a higher witness than that one. You know, once you kind of put yourself in that moment, it's easy to understand why there was debate and disagreement among believers. And in fact, that issue became a, a real challenge because sometimes those who weren't eating that meat would accuse those who were of being irreverent or unspiritual or, or insufficiently devoted to God. And then sometimes those who were uh, eating that meat would accuse those who weren't of being juvenile or adolescent or turning a mountain into a molehill. And there was real debate and disagreement. Against that backdrop, God comes and he says, hey, fellas, ladies, accept one another no matter what position you hold on that issue. We, we struggle with stuff like that. We tend to think that, that being right is the ultimate goal, but God says there's a higher goal, at least insofar as it relates to what we call disputable matters. We'll touch on that in a moment. God says there's a higher goal, and that goal is our love, our unity, our respect for each other. I, I like to joke about the fact, you've probably heard me say this before, that Rhonda and I have been happily married for 32 years, but we still disagree over little things. I still think she makes the bed wrong. She still thinks I make the bed wrong. More than a few mornings, we both go to work with the bed made one way on one side and one way on another. And we laugh about it. We also disagree over important things sometimes, like, for example, how we should handle some very poor repair work that was done on our home. We had some water damage here over the winter. Uh, it was uh, covered by insurance. We arranged for a contractor to come do it, and it just turned into an unbelievable nightmare that took five months to get fixed. And then when it was all fixed, it still wasn't fixed. And at that point, my preference was to say, you know what, it's as good as it's going to get given what we've been through. Rhonda's was, no, 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 this is going to be made right and I'm not going to let it go until it does. And, and we had a real disagreement over that. Sometimes we have disagreements over serious things, but the way we handle those says more about us than who's right. And the truth was that despite those disagreements, our marriage prospered through the whole thing. And we are still deeply in love with one another. It's that kind of thing that God is talking about here. I want to invite you to notice a couple things. First of all, in verse 1, he says, accept one another. The word is much stronger than merely tolerate. Sometimes we substitute tolerance for acceptance. God says, accept those who may disagree with you in lesser matters. Embrace them. And he says in verse 1, accept them without passing judgment. When we aim for tolerance instead of acceptance, what we tend to do is accept them outwardly, but inwardly we look down on them. God says don't do that. Don't pass judgment. He looks on the heart. He addresses the heart side of this issue. Verse 3, he drives it home even further. He says, the one who eats meat must not look down on the one who doesn't, the one who doesn't must not look down on the one who does. So the idea here, church, is of embracing each other despite our differences. Because no matter where we stand on these lesser issues, we stand together as believers in Jesus, as his church. 
To emphasize it again in verses 5 and 6, look what the scripture says. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. That's significant. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. The picture is clear, and here's what we want to grasp if we want to grow into mature believers. Something can be right for one person and wrong for another. That is very real. Because again, God is looking on the heart of each one of us. This is important to grasp because very often we default to the idea that, that whoever's right must be proved right, and that's the bottom line on all issues. Not at all. In fact, God says the exact opposite. He says, leave room for one another to have disagreements on lesser issues. Now, it's important that we understand, as we see in verse 1, that this applies to disputable matters only. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. This isn't about stealing or lying or sexual immorality or drunkenness or hatred or racism or violence. We're not talking about those kinds of things. We're talking about lesser things. And it's important to understand that God says in his word that you can take either position on a given issue and both of you be equally reverent. One eats meat to the Lord. One abstains from meat to the Lord. One honors one day specially to the Lord. One doesn't, uh, or treats all days the same, doesn't honor one day specially, does so to the Lord. Either position can be spiritual and reverent. That's what the phrase does so to the Lord means. It's important that we grasp this in these times. You know, to kind of illustrate, uh, I, I have a custom, uh, a discipline, a habit that I practice, and that is that I never ever work out or exercise on Sundays. Now, now I don't expect that of anybody else. I don't put that on anybody else, not even my wife, okay? But, but that's something that's between me and Jesus, and I cling to it. And I live in that reality because it is my reverence, right? Now the scriptures, it doesn't say that you and I should debate and figure out what's the right approach there. It says leave room for one another to approach that issue differently. And this is really crucial to grasp because if you want to get technical, there is a right answer to these various issues that are being raised here in Romans chapter 14. For example, on the issue of, of whether we should eat meat or, or eat only vegetables, the, the scripture is explicit that we have been given the right to, to eat any kind of food. Acts chapter 10, that vision that Peter was shown by the Lord was, to, hey, the dietary restrictions are part of the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. So there is a, a freedom there. That's technically the right answer. But what God is saying in this passage is, is the, the more right answer is how you uh, respond to your brother when they feel differently. In, in fact, the same kinds of issues continue to this day and, and were a part of the, the, the conflict that happened in Jesus's ministry. Some said, for example, in Jesus's day that if you pay taxes to Caesar, you are complicit with what the Roman government does. Some would say if you eat meat sacrificed to your idols, you're complicit with false religion. But Jesus said that's not the case. When he was challenged on this issue, because the Pharisees were trying to create conflict and division among his followers, when he was challenged on this issue, the Bible says they brought him a denarius, asked him, whose portrait is this? And, and uh, uh, he said, they said Caesar's, and he said, give Caesar what is Caesar's, and give God what is God's. Some would say, no, if you pay taxes, you're complicit with a, a corrupt government. Jesus says, no, you're not. He says there are bigger issues at stake here. Remain focused on those. That kind of principle is, is hard for us to grasp sometimes, which is why God spends two whole chapters in his word teaching us about them. You know, there's a right answer on the meat issue too. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul addresses this in detail, he says this, So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. There's no God but one. But not everyone knows this yet. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think, of it, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their consciences are weak or tender, it is defiled for them. And so he goes on to say, he says, hey, show regard for your brother. Sure, you have the right answer. But the more right answer 
is how you relate to your brother in the midst of it. Paul says the same thing back in Romans chapter 14, verse 14. The right answer to the meat issue is that, hey, it's okay. But what's more important is how we relate to one another when we aren't on the same page. So there's a right answer to these things, but hear me, friends. God is less concerned over whether you are right than over whether you accept and embrace your brother and your sister in Christ. That's the real test of your spirit. That's why Paul says at the end of his discussion in Romans chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, he says this, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block in your brother's way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or special days or paying taxes to Caesar. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. You know, to just kind of put this another way, if you want to please God, then leave room for disagreements. Because the unity of believers is more important than being right on disputable matters. Just like the unity in my marriage is more important than the wrong way Rhonda makes the bed or folds the towels or any disagreement about how much money we lost in a home repair. Church, this is what God wants us, his daughters and sons, to understand. This is what he wants us to grasp. And this is a very real issue because it concerns our connection in the spirit. It concerns our unity. It concerns our oneness as his family. You know, to put this another way, God is more concerned about us being other-centered than being right about most stuff. I love to tell the story of our son when he was just two years old. We lived in a, in a, uh, a home in Troy, Idaho, where uh, we had a potbelly stove. That was the heating for our home. And, and uh, he one day put his finger out and, and touched the potbelly stove and burned his finger. Got a big blister on it. And um, we had been telling him before that not to touch it. You know, it's hot, it'll hurt you, and so on. He just wasn't grasping it. After that incident, though, he understood. And what we began to laugh about was whenever somebody would come over and visit us after that, Isaiah would meet him at the door, and in just the cutest way, he would see those folks, and then he would point at the stove, and he'd say, hot, hot. <laughs> you know, and he would shoo people away from it. It was really funny. But it was also really cool because he was becoming other-centered in just a small way, in a beautiful way. It's important that we grasp this. You know, to put this another way, we had, we had Mother's Day last week. Every mom knows her kids are special <laughs> despite their flaws. And she's right. She's absolutely right because she sees something not everybody does. And God is calling us to see each other like that to see each other as profoundly special and unique and important to us. Not because we agree on everything, but because we agree on the important things about this man, Jesus. Now, there's an incredibly hopeful moment in the middle of all this that comes straight from the Father's heart. You'll find in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 14. And here's what the scripture says. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who doesn't. The man who doesn't must not look down on him who does because God has accepted him. God has accepted him. Despite the fact that he's wrong on lesser things or despite the fact that he's right on lesser things. And Paul says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls, and the Lord is able to make him stand. What a beautiful expression of our Father's heart. In other words, when you're right about something that your fellow believer is wrong about, God still accepts him or her, and he calls you to as well. That is a big deal. To reject them is to reject him. The scripture tells us that we can't have him without embracing one another. And once again, it's not a mere tolerance. It's an acceptance that God calls us to. You know, in fact, if, if you read both these passages in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, you're going to find out that God, in fact, may approve of him or her more than you if he accepts you despite the disagreements, but you don't accept him or her. Why? Because God is looking at the heart always. 
The prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that man looks on the outward appearance and God always looks on the heart. And that's the spirit here in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8 when it comes to these kinds of issues. This whole discussion reveals that what God is looking for in you and me is our willingness to accept each other when we disagree on lesser things. So, so let me challenge us this morning. When are you tempted to look down on someone who disagrees with you on how to practice your faith? When are you tempted to not accept that person? In those moments, God says, the, the greatest way in which you can please me is to embrace them and to be proactive about it. You see, church, we've got to get beyond the idea that being right is always right. That's why the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 8 on this same subject, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes this, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. In other words, God sees the man who loves more than the man who knows, and he delights in his humility. That's his call to us. You know, in this challenging time, the only way the devil really triumphs is if he divides believers. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do when they challenged Jesus about taxes to Caesar. That's what the enemy, the devil, was trying to do when uh, uh, he brought this disagreement among believers to the forefront. God wants us to get beyond the idea that being right is always right. Sometimes being good is the expression of whether you're really right or not. I remember uh, 20 years ago, probably some of you do as well, uh, when the whole Y2K scare swept our world. Lots of people were pretty sure the whole country was going to come crashing down. The whole world, in fact. Ron and I were pastoring in northern Idaho at the time, and, and I, I remember distinctly how some folks felt it was their spiritual duty in that sort of crisis to, to build bunkers and fill them with guns and food. And, and I remember that others thought that, that we shouldn't do anything different at all and that we should display our faith by refusing to even react to this crisis. And still others thought we should make big plans to gather and serve our community as a team in the midst of this crisis. And you know what? Every one of those folks was approaching the issue out of their best understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. And the one thing I said again and again to us throughout that struggle was, hey, we are a family. We are the body of believers. And the, the more, most important thing is our accepting one another in spite of our disagreements. You see, church, most folks were trying to do the right thing from their understanding of Christian faith. Some were less knowledgeable. Some were flat out wrong, okay? They were wrong in a technical sense. But what would have been more wrong is that if we had refused to embrace and accept each other because of those differences. The important thing was that we stood together as a family through the whole thing, thereby honoring our Savior and pointing to our Father God. And it's, it's the same today in this crisis. That's what the scripture is teaching here in Romans chapter 14 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And again, before we close, let me help you see that God challenges us to do more than put up with one another more than tolerate one another. Look at verse 19 of chapter 14. He says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Can I challenge you? Is that your spirit in this time? That's what our Father God calls us to. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That's a call to set our unity as believers above our sense of what's right and wrong in every matter that isn't explicitly moral or sinful. So, so what does that look like exactly? Well, in our last couple of minutes, just to give me a few practical, let me share with you a few practical ways to do that. If you're taking notes, you can write these down real quick. Number one, understand that it's okay to be quiet. In a time like this, it's okay not to express your opinion. In verse 22 of chapter 14 of Romans, here's what the apostle says to us. What, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. It's okay. You don't have to debate it. 
Uh, it's okay to be quiet. Just because we can speak doesn't mean we should. Sometimes that's important for us to remember in this social media age where we can shout to the world with our fingertips. It's okay to be quiet. Sometimes silence is golden. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Think of your brother, your sister first. Think of your fellow believer first. That's what Paul means in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Romans when he says, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Whatever you do and say, make it your ambition that you wouldn't uh, harm or impede or, or uh, you know, unduly uh, discombobulate your fellow believer's faith. I have this awful habit at home after I go for a run of hanging the sweatshirt that I wore on the run up on a rack in our little closet there. I do that because I don't want to wash it every single day and I think to myself, you know, that'll just burn out the sweatshirt faster and use up a lot of detergent. And Rhonda keeps coming to me and saying, don't do that. Your sweatshirt stinks. <laughs> yeah. I need to think of her first in those moments. It's not about saving the sweatshirt or conserving detergent. It's about honoring my wife. Think of your brother, your sister first. Number three, try to see your sister, your brother's heart in whatever their approach to their faith in this time is. Again, hear verse 6 of chapter 14. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, he who, for he gives thanks to God. He who doesn't eat meat, who abstains, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Understand that reverence for our Savior, church, comes in many forms. There's that wonderful moment when a woman comes and breaks a, a, an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' feet. It's worth a year's wages. Some people said, oh, what a waste. You could have sold that and given a year's worth of wages to the poor. But Jesus says, no, this comes from her heart. This comes from her, her soul. She is expressing her love, devotion, worship. No, no, no. This is good. We've got to understand that each of us shows reverence in different ways. Try to see your brother or your sister's heart. Number four of five, we're almost done, is to, in your heart, in your spirit, be a we. See yourself not as an individual, a free agent, playing your own game, with your own victories or losses, the only concern. No, no, see yourself as part of a body. Verse 19 of chapter 14 of Romans, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Sometimes when I'm at my best self and I'm home making the bed by myself, I'll just make it Rhonda's way to bless her. What a, a huge, wonderful spirit I have, huh? And then when she comes home, I'll point it out, see, I made it your way, I'm kidding. But you get the idea that we see ourselves as, as, as one, as a we. See yourself that way, God calls us to especially in this time. And then finally, the last one. Remember what's disputable and what isn't. This whole discussion we just had is not about fundamental moral rights and wrongs. It's not about sin. It's not about who God is. It's not about the gospel. It's about disputable matters, lesser things connected to that. Jesus was unequivocal. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, friends, it's that message we must remain united in order to proclaim. Because that is the real significant and important thing in this time. That Jesus is a Savior, that God comes to give His grace to anyone willing, that when we receive Jesus, we become God's children. We have that very specific message to share with the world. Let's make sure we do that before anything and everything else. I love to tell the story of, of Guy Gabaldon. Uh, some years ago I shared this story, you may remember it. But Guy was a, a U.S. Marine in World War II and he found himself in June of 1944 on the island of Saipan in the middle of the Pacific in one of the most brutal battles of the war. It was vicious, it was uh, brutal in every sense of the word and, and part of the reason it was that way is because the Japanese had been told and taught a lie. They had been told that if they were taken prisoner that American soldiers would eat them or would castrate them 
or that the women would be serially raped. And so, as a consequence, the Japanese were determined to die or to commit suicide. And they simply wouldn't surrender even though they were defeated. Many took the attitude of saying, well, we just have to kill them all. There's nothing else we can do. We got to kill every last one of them. But Guy felt differently. And Guy began to sneak out of his foxhole at night because he spoke some Japanese. And he would crawl over across the lines to the, to the enemy and he would, using his limited Japanese, seek to, to talk guys into surrendering. Seek to talk families into coming over to the American side and giving themselves up so that they could survive. And he did this repeatedly over weeks. And in fact, the, the reality is that Guy was single-handedly responsible for rescuing more than 1,300 people from suicide and death over those few weeks. Now, what motivated him was that he understood there was something more important even than the war they were fighting. And that was their shared humanity. God calls us to recognize in this time that what is more important than any disagreements as we go through this season is that we are the body of Christ, that we are the church of Jesus, that we are brothers and sisters. And so he invites us, he calls us, he commands us to accept one another in the deepest way that we might glorify him. Let's pray together, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word this morning. And, and Lord, we confess that this time is hard, Lord, that the, the restrictions and the, the fears that we have tempt us, God, to grow angry, tempt us to grow fearful, tempt us to, to, to look away from our shared faith in you. God, we pray that you help us to hear you calling us instead to draw closer together than ever before. God, we lift your church up to you. Pray your blessing on her wherever she is, in Edomclaw, in Buckley, to the uttermost ends of the earth. God, we pray that in this time we would glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great weekend. Hope to see you on the trail this afternoon, 1230 to 130, for our fellowship walk. Have a great afternoon.